Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for the opportunity to come before you and to worship you. We ask you to guide and lead us as we open the word and look at what you'd want us to see from this. We just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Joshua chapter 9, verse 1. And it came to pass when all the kings that were in, on this side of Jordan, in the hills and in the valleys and in the coast of the, of the great sea over against Lebanon, the Hittites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Pezzites and the Hittites and the Jebusites heard of these, of these of thereof, that they gathered themselves together to fight Joshua and with Israel which, with one accord. And when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard that Joshua, Joshua had done to Jericho and, in, and to Ai, they did work wily and went and made as if they had been ambassadors and took old sacks upon their donkeys and wine bottles old and rent and bound up and old shoes and clotted upon their feet and old garments upon them and all the bread of their provisions was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua to the camp of Gilgal and said unto them and to the men of Israel, We have come from a far country. Now therefore make you a league with us. And the men of Israel said unto the, unto the Hivites, Preadventure you dwell among us, and how shall we make a league with you? And they said unto Joshua, Why, well, we are your servants. And Joshua said unto them, Who are you, and from whence come you? And they said, From a very far country your servants are come, because of the name of the Lord your God. For we have heard the fame of him and all that he did in Egypt. And all that he did to the two kings of, of the Ammonites, and, which are beyond Jordan, and to Sion, king of Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, which was, a, which was at Astoroth. Wherefore our elders and all our inhabitants and our country spoken to us, saying, take, take victuals with you for a long journey, and go and meet them, and say unto them, We are your servants, therefore make, now make a league with us. This our bread we took hot from our provisions out of the out of the houses on the day that we came forth to go unto you. But now, behold, it is dry and moldy. And these bottles of wine we filled with new. And behold, they, are, they be rent, and, and our garments and our shoes are become old by reason of the very long journey. And the men took their victuals and asked not counsel of the mouth of the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a league with them to let them live. And the princes of the congregation swear unto them. All right, we're going to stop there because we're going to kind of start looking at this story. Uh, one of the things that I've said as we've studied Joshua, Joshua is not as good as Moses was to go before God for decision making. And we saw that with the battle of Ai where he just said, okay, yeah, it sounds really good. We'll just go try to take that small town because we just got done with Jericho. And now he's getting ready to make the same type of mistake <laughs> with the people of Gibeon. And in one sense, this is very much the way we are as people. But, you know, a lot of times after a great victory, we as Christians will sometimes try to depend upon ourselves. And we also see it, though, with families or even with ministries where, where a son or, or relative takes over. First generation is on fire for God, really on fire for God, and everything is about God. The next generation, on fire for God, but not quite as, you know, following of God, and then like a third generation is like, okay, who's God <laughs> in many cases? And we're seeing here, Joshua's just not quite as connected to God as Moses has been. And we're going to see it in this decision, which is going to become a big decision to them, just as AI became a big decision. And it starts out in verse 1, and it came to pass when the kings that were on, the other, on this side of Jordan, on, in the hills, and in the rivers, and in the coast of the great sea, over against Lebanon, the Hivites, the, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Pezites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and heard thereof. Now, it names all these different nations that were in that area, and then we're going to keep reading those names over and over and over again, all through the book of Joshua, and even in Judges they show up pretty prevalent. Uh, but we note here that first said, that live on this side of the Jordan, in the hills and in the valleys and in the coast of the great sea over against Lebanon. Do you have an idea why it lists those different geological formalities? No, good guess, but that's not, it wasn't because of where Abraham walked necessarily. Huh? Not necessarily, not in this, not in this land. 
what you're going to read in throughout the book of Joshua is people saying they beat the gods of the mountains and they can't beat us. They beat the gods of the valley, but they can't beat us. They beat the gods of the rivers, but they can't beat us. All right. So he's telling all these people from all these different locations are coming who are dependent upon their gods. All right. Because they're the God, you know, they'll believe that our God is the river, you know, valley God. He can, you know, he's stronger than the God of the, the God of the mountains and the hills and whatever, whatever other place. And we're going to see later on in Joshua, there's a place where it says, well, they defeated, I can't remember if it was the mountain or the valley, but they can't defeat our God who's, who's the God of this. And so we see this, this pattern coming in that's going to talk about the hills, the, the valleys, the, the coast, you know, and it's naming the different places because their gods are associated with where they lived. And it's kind of hard for us in our day to understand that mentality because, you know, we pretty much are monotheistic in America. We are changing. And we've got a lot of people who are pantheists and polytheists. And, and if you don't know what those are, pantheist is that everything is God. And polytheists are many gods. And we're starting to see lots of people that have those, those mentalities because that's Eastern mysticism and everything is a lot of times pantheist. Everything is God. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, Buddhists who fully follow Buddhism won't won't kill anything. They don't. Uh, a full-fledged Buddhist will carry a broom, so he sweeps away the bugs that are in his path, so he doesn't accidentally kill any bugs as he walks. Okay. Now, not all Buddhists do that, but there's a huge group that will start doing that because they don't want to kill anything, because everything is God. But even when they do that, they're sweeping God around with a broom, so it's still kind of hard because they're still not really following through. And this is where we're going to see this whole picture of polytheism at its, at its height in the conquest of, the, of this land. And then we name off these people, and we'll be reading these names re a whole lot as we go on. And then it says in verse 2 that they gathered themselves together to fight with Joshua and Israel with one accord. So we're seeing here they named off one, two, three, four, five, six, and six groups that are gathering up to fight against Israel. And basically, they're forming a league, and uh, they're allying against each other. So basically, they're going to say, if one of us gets attacked, then we're all going to come and help each other. Just as still done in, this, in our world, you know, we've got the uh, NATO and you know, all of these different groups that are supposed to band together and help each other if, any, if anyone is attacked. And so they're banding together saying, hey, if they're going to come and take us, you know, they've conquered Jericho, they've conquered Ai, they've conquered all those kings on the east side of the Jordan. If they come and get us, we'll, we'll all fight them. Makes it easy to get rid of them all if they all, if they all come and fight. But, uh, so they're, they're making a league. And it says, the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what has happened to Jericho and Ai. And verse 4, they did wily and went and made as if they were ambassadors and took old sacks upon their donkeys, old wine bottles, uh, wine bottles old and rent and bound up, and shoes, old shoes, and clotted them on their feet, and old garments with them, and, and all their bread of their provisions was dry and moldy. So they made it look like everything was old. Either they're very poor or they've traveled a long distance is what they're saying. It, uh, you know, they, they're, they're bringing old, old things that have broken down, wine bottles that are kind of old and, and busted. Now, some of this kind of makes me wonder, how long does it take a wine bottle to break down completely, even in a wine, you know, even in the skin? Uh, and it's kind of making it sound, I mean, the distance that they're trying to make it look like they've come is a huge distance. You know, hey, when we left, uh, this, this garment on our donkey was new. <laughs> Our shoes were new. Our clothes were new. You know, even this wine bottle—it was new. You know, we've come. We've been on the. We've been on the road for months. <laughs> it will eventually go bad, but they re, They can. Usually, it'll go long enough, quite a while. So they're talking. They're trying to make it look like they've been gone. That they've been on the trip for months. Because it weakened. Because the, the, the skin's weakened through the through it. They don't usually burst in the, in the first wine. Uh, 
But, you know, here they are. They're coming with the full purpose of making them think, we've heard of your God, and we've come on a long, long trip. All right? Uh, and you've got to think about this. You know, the blanket, you know, how long does it take to blanket on the donkey to get old? I don't know. I've never driven, driven, you know, probably a long time. If they're using it every day, it's probably quicker, but you're still talking months. So they're, they're trying to make this look like, you know, hey, we didn't just come over the mountain. We've been, we've been on the road for months. You know, we've heard. We've heard what God did, you know, and we're now here to, to worship your God. So, I mean, they're right there. I mean, these are neighbors to where they're at right now. And this, is the, this is what they're trying to play. You know, we've been on the road for months, uh, not, just going, not just climbed over this mountain to, to meet you guys. Yeah, it only took us a only took us a couple hours to get here, but man, we're going to make it look like we have been on the road for months. Our 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 shoes are going to be clotted all up with mud. Our our clothes are getting tattered. Uh, our food has gone bad on the, on this trip. So, this is this is the this is what they're trying to to do to them. And uh, you know, we've come a long way. We come from a far country to make a league with you to make peace with you. All right. And verse 7 says, And the men of Israel said unto the Hittites, Preadventure you dwell among us. How shall we make a league with you? So they start out with the right answer. You know, you know maybe you are just in this land and you're trying to trick us. They, they have the right attitude at first. They're, they're, they're suspicious. You, know, you, you probably land, you, you're, they're basically saying you probably live in this land. You know, you, you know, they may have been saying you sound a little bit like the people of this land. You're uh, maybe the clothes were a little bit like that land, you know, there, there's something that's made them suspicious. And in verse 8, Joshua said to them, we, oh, and they said unto Joshua, we are your servants. And Joshua said to him, who are you and, fr and, from, and where you come from? Okay. Who are you and where exactly are you coming from? And, you know, so we're, they're starting out with the right attitude. Huh? Yeah, well, yeah. They're starting out with the right attitude. You know, uh, we don't want to be tricked. We, don't, we want to know, where are you from? They're asking the Jewish people. They're at the Jews, the, Joshua's asking the Gibeonites. Yeah. Where are you from? Tell us where you're from. And their answer, they lied. From a very far country your servants are come because of the name of the Lord your God, and we have heard the fame of him and all that he did in Egypt. All right. Lie, we're from a very far country. Yeah. Truth, we've heard of your God. <laughs> and we've heard of what he's done to Egypt. So they're beginning to flatter them. You know, we know your God. You know, we've heard of your God. We'd like to know your God a little better is what they're going to get ready to say. Uh, but the, the first part is a lie. We come from a very far country. Uh, you know, and they're going to point to their, their food and their clothes. And it says in verse 10, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites that were beyond Jordan, and Sihon king of Heshbon, and Og king of Bashan, which was at Ashtaroth. So this also should start becoming a question of, if you're from a very far place, how are you so up to date on all the conquering? Okay, If you've been traveling for months to get here, how can you know all the details of the kings and, and, the, and the destructions that have happened? But that details, they're, still, they're just feeling flattered. Oh, yes, you, you're, you're building up our God. You're, you're really building us up. One of the things liars do frequently is really flatter people to no end to make them kind of forget the rest of what's going on. You know, you're so special. You're so good. You're so great. And people forget when they're being... Lie, you know, buttered up that you know there's something that's else going on many many times, and uh, so he says we've heard of all this. And again, I point to this as one something that to me this would sound very suspicious. You know, all the new news of what's been going on recently, and you're supposed to have been on the road for months. Yeah, and you heard it before you left home, and you've been on the road for months. Okay. Uh, this should have triggered, or they've been very newsworthy as they've been going along, which is technically it is, is possible. You can understand how, but it doesn't, it doesn't have that complete ring of truth. 
you know, how do you know all these details if you've been on the road for months? You know, how are you staying, staying in, the, on, in all the news cycles? We don't have, you don't have satellite on your donkeys to uh, keep, you, keep, you, keep CNN on and uh, MSN on all the time. So. And that is true. It is possible because news has always traveled faster. You know, it's been said that even in the days when, before telegraph and everything, by the time somebody would travel from one town to the other, the news had already gotten there in many cases. Right, other people moved in, and people, and, and they had post roads and, and quick, quick delivery cycles and stuff. I mean, that was designed for kings, but those roads got used quickly. You know, they were built on the same principles as we I built. A, mean they were oh no, no, but it, the, the, it doesn't have the ring of truth on it. it it's hard to, it's hard to picture it being true. Why are they lying? Because they are obviously aware that Israel has been told to kill all the, everybody. Rahab knew that, and these people obviously know that everybody in that country is going to be killed. They're lying to save themselves. They might want to follow God too, I don't know if that's all flattery, but they're definitely lying to save themselves. And when you're starting out with a lie, you're not really starting out the right way with God. Uh, I think if they had come and worshipped God like Rahab did, that they would have been spared and, and been made part of the Jewish family, and they would have suffered. They wouldn't suffer the curse that's coming at the end of the chapter. Did Rahab worship God? She oh, she definitely she says it. No, she was she was honoring their God because she becomes married. She becomes married to. Uh, well, I don't know if it came later or it perfected later or how, but she she turned to God. And she's in the in the line of Christ. Yeah, I know she's in the line of Christ. So she she'd heard about God, she'd heard about God and she God. and I believe that she was trying to worship God even before that. Well, so it that. is technically possible that the Gibeonites as a people were generally genuinely wanting to follow God, but they're starting out on the wrong foot, like you said. Yeah. You don't start worshiping God by lying. Uh, and so there's gonna be a consequence to their lie. Uh, as we go into this. All right, verse 11. Therefore our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoken to us, saying, take, take food with you for, for the journey and go and meet them and say unto them, we are your servants, therefore make you a league with us. This our bread we took from our provisions out of our houses the day it came out of the, to go unto you, and now behold, it is dry and moldy. And the bottles of wine be filled with new, and behold, they be rent. These are garments and our shoes were become old by reason of the very long journey. And the men took their victuals or their food and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. They, well, and they, no, this is, they looked, they looked at the food. Okay, they're looking at their proofs and saying, okay, yeah, this stuff is all old. Okay, you, mu you must now, they're now beginning to go, well, you must be telling the truth because yeah, your food is old, your, your wine is old, your clothes are shabby. Everything is shabby, so it does look like maybe you've been on the road for months. So they're, they're having their doubts kind of assayed. They're, they're, looking at, they're looking at what they see. Joshua and Israel are looking at what they see and not. And then very interesting statement here in verse 14. And they asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. All right. Now this is the second time in nine chapters that they have not asked God what to do. When they went up against Ai, they didn't ask God what to do. And uh, many, many people died, less than, less than 200, but many people died in a battle that they should not have lost. Then we get to this one, and they're faced with some quote-unquote ambassadors, and they are ambassadors, they're just not from afar, from afar. They're from over the mountain. You know, they traveled from Kingman over to Gloride. <laughs> you know, look how old our car is, it's all beat up, we've been driving for months, you know, and our clothes are old, and, you know. Uh, you know, just believe us, we've been on the road for months. Our, our, food, our, food, our food is dry and moldy, but it's not, it's not you know, it's still edible. <laughs> 
uh, you know, when we read this, we see so many signs that there were lots of things that says you shouldn't, you shouldn't have even have followed this up. Now, you want to try to convince them that you've been on the road for months and yet you're, you're using the same bread? Now, how moldy and old is your bread after, you know, after even a month? Uh, yeah, yeah there's, not, there's not much bread there. Uh, you know, it gets so hard that you're definitely not going to use it to eat. <laughs> they had no refrigerator. They, yeah, they didn't have the plastic bag to put it in. It sat... So there's lots of signs here that should have triggered their suspicion to continue. But they looked and saw and made a decision based on what they saw. Adam and Eve. Eve looked at the tree and saw that it was a fruit to be desired. How often do we look at something and go by sight instead of walking by faith? Here they're going to walk by sight. Okay, well, guys, it does look like you've been on the road for a long time. Uh, we'll, we'll ignore asking God for help in this situation because we're kind of, we're kind of believing you. Started out suspicious, and their suspicions changed as they looked by sight at what they saw. And this is something that's so true with us as Christians. So often we'll make a decision because we'll do the human way of doing things. Here's my pro-con list. Okay, God, I've got 19 pros and three cons. The pros have it, you know, uh, or the other way around. And, you're, and God's saying, well, no, I'm on the con side. <laughs> I don't want you to do this. From the natural point of view, the pro-con list, looking at the great advantages is, is what's right. The disciples, after, after Jesus was raised from the dead and Judas Iscariot had committed suicide, decided, we're going we're gonna to find somebody to replace Judas. So they picked two guys and said, okay, God, which of these two do you want? And the lot fell to Matthias. Or Matthias. And God says, well, no, I didn't really want either one of them. I want, I want Saul of Tarsus. <laughs> okay. Uh, but we oftentimes will do this to God. And all through the scriptures you see the same thing. God, which of these two do you want? Still kept them, you still got Huh? You kept them, but you still got Saul. Well, yeah, he's, you know, he never did anything that we know of, it really. But, but we do this quite frequently. God, I, I got, I've got it down. I've got my choice down to these three or these two things, God. Which, which one of them do you want? And God usually will say, well, I'm not really interested in any of those choices. I have a totally another choice, choice for you. God, things are really looking bad where I'm at. You know, I've got lots of cons on the list. You know, I think I should move. And God says, well, no, I think you should just stay here and let me work out your, your issues. You know, so we need to be careful because so often we will do it from the world's point of view and we'll look and say, wow, this other plan looks so good. And how's the proverb go? The grass is always greener on the other side of the fence until you get there. Okay? And then you get there and realize the grass wasn't, was painted or something. You know, it wasn't even real grass. It's, and, and you still have to mow the grass or whatever it might be. And you look back at what, and how many times in your life do you look back at something and say, I wish I was still doing whatever it was? And whether that's a good or not, again, I'm not going to say yes or no, but, you know, a lot of times we look back on our decisions with regret and say, man, what a terrible decision this was. I should never have done this decision. That does not mean God won't use the decision and won't make good happen from it. But if you make a decision based on sight and on the flesh, you're going to suffer. Family will suffer. There's all kinds of suffering that follows bad decisions. God will still do good things. God will still grow you. God will still redeem the time. But you go through a lot of stuff that you didn't have to go through. <laughs> and we're going to see a lot of this as they're going through these things. When Joshua and the children of Israel did not go to God before Ai, the price was 100 and some lives de destroyed. That didn't need to be destroyed if they had just listened to God and done what, whatever it is that God wanted them to do. 
AI might not even have been in God's plan originally. You know, God might want to say, okay, I want you to turn south and le leave AI alone for the moment. You know, they did, they did take AI, but we need to always be careful. Are we making decisions in faith or are we making decisions by sight? Okay, and very importantly, we always keep this, go, keep this in our mind. The just shall live by faith. Always go to God. You know, and God will give you direction if you will just open up and listen. And it's hard sometimes. Believe me, I understand how hard it is sometimes to say, God, what is it that you want me to do? And then sometimes you make a decision that makes no sense at all, and at first it seems like a terrible decision, and then God opens up all kinds of avenues and say, wow, this is exactly what I needed to do compared to what you were doing in the past. And you go to something and it looks like the very best decision. This was the best decision, God. Uh, you know, and it's like everything goes wrong. And you know what? God is very good at making everything go wrong when you make your decision based on what you think is the right answer. And I've done this many times in my life. I made decisions that what I thought were right and then ended up watching God block them. And make a mess out of you know make a mess out of my life because I made a decision that he did not want. Let's see, verse fifteen. And Joshua made peace with them and made a league with them, to let them live. And the princes of the congregation swore unto them. All right, so here they are. They made they made their made their league. Okay, we we agree. You know, we'll we'll defend you. You'll defend us. That type of league. You know, they're they're in league with each other, and uh, so they've made peace. And they've allied themselves to the Gibeonites. Verse 16, we're going to read a little further here. And it came to pass at the end of three days, after they had made a league with them, that they heard that they were their neighbors and that they dwelt among them. And the children of Israel journeyed and came to the cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Gishthirah, and Beeroth, and Kirjarjerim. And the children of Israel smote them not, because the princes of the congregation swore unto them by the Lord God of Israel. And all the congregation murmured against the princes. But all the princes said to the congregation, We have sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel. Now therefore we may not touch them. This we will do to them. We will even, we will even let them live, lest wrath be upon us because of the oath which we swore unto them. And the princes said to them, Let them live, but let them be hewers of wood and drawers of water unto all the congregation as the princes promised them. And Joshua called them and he spoke unto them, Wherefore have you beguiled us, saying, we are, we are very far from you when you dwell among us? Now therefore are you cursed, and there shall be none of you freed from, the bound, from being bondmen, hewers of wood and drawers of waters for the house of my God. And they answered Joshua and said, because it was certainly told your servants how the Lord your God commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. Therefore, we were afraid of, for our lives because of you and have done this thing. And now behold, we are at your, in your hand and as it seemeth good and right to do un, for you to do unto us. Do. And so did he unto them and delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel that they slew them not. And Joshua made them that day hewers of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord, even to this day in the place that he should, which he shall choose. All right, so now we're starting to see why they did all of this as we go through this. And it says they came three days' journey. Now, and a large group of people, three days' journey is probably only 30 miles. If you were in a caravan, you were doing good if you've got... 10 miles a day, if you did 15 miles a day, you were doing really good in a caravan. And you got to figure the children of Israel, three and a half million strong, break down their tents, wander a little bit, break and set up their tents. You're moving an entire city every day. So 10, 15 miles max, so they're going 30, 30, uh, 30 to 45 miles, and all of a sudden, who do they see? <laughs> you know, who do they see but the Gibeonites? <laughs> You know, they lived a really long ways away. <laughs> and if Joshua had even just sent spies out around the land, he would have found out that they weren't that far away. So, you know, even if he had done it, you know, even small due diligence, he would not have made this, made this agreement with them. And uh, says they came on them, and, and they're going to find that they have four cities. 
And the children of Israel did not destroy them because the princes made an agreement with them. And it says, all the congregation murmured against the leaders. Now, Israel, even in the promised land, has not changed. <laughs> uh, and, but this time, they have a legitimate gripe. Huh? Keep his, whose vow? Yeah, they're keeping this vow with these people. They're not going to go. They're not going to go in. They're not. They don't kill them. They don't kill them. They they made an agreement. The leaders made an agreement. The people are upset. You know, hey, we're supposed to kill every. Now the the people have a legitimate gripe. You know, you guys made a vow with somebody who we're supposed to kill. Now the people really didn't care about the vow necessarily, because how are they getting how are they getting their plunder and their and their land, is by killing and going into battle and taking the plunder. So they just cost them four cities and all the plunder that's involved in all these cities. It's, from what we understand from the scriptures, Israel did not lose many people in any of these battles because God did the fighting in most of the battles. And we're going to see battles where God sends hornets in and drives the people away. We're going to see hailstones falling uh, from sky and killing, killing more people than Israel kills. You know, God said he was going to fight the battles, and in many cases, he literally fought the battles. When it's time to fight, he will fight the battle. Just as when we come back with Christ at the end of the tribulation period, the battle is real simple. Jesus speaks, and all the, all the enemy dies. You know, really big battle. <laughs> you know, Jesus speaks, the enemy dies. That's the kind of battles God does. That's how powerful he is. And uh, you know, we, we get this impression as we read through here that they lost very few people. The 150 that they lost in, in AI was shocking to them because they had not lost people to that level in the battles. I mean, so, and they were in disobedience and they lost a number of people. And most of their people were lost through plagues and disobedience to God. And so the people are upset. Now, they have a legitimate reason to be upset because an agreement has been made with people that are not supposed to be made, but I do not believe, and it doesn't say so, but I do not believe that their murmuring was because of the agreement. I think it was because of the lost spoil. But all the, in verse 19, but all the princes said unto the congregation, we have sworn unto them by the Lord God of Israel, now therefore we will not touch them. Very important when you make a promise as a Christian or as a follower of God, that you keep your word. And this is something that we see through Scripture. God says that you keep your word. If you say you're going to do something, you do it. We're going to be in Judges. We read about uh, Jethro, I think it is, who, who goes to battle and he go, makes a promise, God, I will off, I'll offer as a sacrifice the first thing that comes out of my house. And it turns out to be his daughter, his only daughter. Okay, who is sacrificed, he, he sacrifices a lamb in her place and she goes into service in the temple, but she's a virgin for the rest of her life because of the promise he made to sacrifice her. And then we kind of figure out, well, what did he expect to come out of his house? Well, you've got to, in those days, you, you kept in your house your goats and your sheep and everything else, you know, oftentimes were kept in your house. And he was figuring the pet lamb would come out, you know, really no big deal. And so, but he kept his vow because he'd made it to God. And it's very important that we keep our word. And even in our country especially, it used to be if somebody said they were going to do something, their word was the absolute. If somebody made an agreement, their word was an ironclad contract. And, you know, uh, wouldn't necessarily hold up in court, but people had the idea that I am going to you know, keep my word. I said I'd do it. I'm going to do it. Now our world is getting so bad that if you don't have an ironclad contract, you can't get it done. And even if you have the contract, it might be challenged. Well, the people won't trust that person. Well, they may not be trusted, but you know, it's still it's, it's the fact that why do you have to do, work so hard to, to get somebody to do what they say they're going to do? And here, you know, they're keeping their word, even though it does mean go, disobeying God at this point. They said, God, we didn't go before you. Now we're going to take the consequences. These people are going to be among us. And they already understood the consequences of having the aliens among them because what did Balaam tell Balak 
to help get Israel to destroy. He says, send in the women, get them to, get them to fall in love with the women and, and start worshiping, worshiping uh, uh, Baal and Ashtoreth, you know, and then God will judge them for it. And God did judge them. He killed you know, tens of thousands of people because of the disobedience of the people. They already understand this principle that when you bring an other religion in amongst you, you've got problems. And here they are bringing a whole four cities into their, into their group that is potentially going to harm them, okay, because of this religion that's sitting there. And I don't, I've got to look in there because I don't remember Gibeon being a big problem for them, but they may be the ones that brought Baal and, and all these other people into Israel so often. But in verse 20 it says, We will do to them and, and even let them live lest wrath be upon us because of the oath that we swore unto them. And basically saying, we told God we're not going to do this. And if we break and if we destroy them, God may then turn around and destroy us. And they were probably weren't thinking about total destruction, but they were thinking God would bring judgment on us. And, you know, this should be, at the very minimum, for us keeping our word, word should be, God will deal with us if we don't keep our word. And we want to see this whole activity of can we be truthful? When, some, when we say something, does somebody say that, that is somebody I can count on? If that person says they're going to do it, they are going to do it. And that's a very important thing to, to uh, reputation and testimony to have. And then it says this to him, the princess said unto them, let them live, but let them be hewers of wood and drawers of water unto all the congregation as the princes have promised them. So in other words, okay, you're going to live, but you're going to be servants. This is the curse that came back upon the Gibeonites. Okay, you, you're alive, but you're now, you're now servants for the rest of your days. You, your families, and everybody else. And as it says on the end of this, and it was to the day when Joshua died, they were still, they were still there doing that. And so... When we are disobedient, and we've talked about this, sin always has consequences. Their sin started with their lie, had a consequence that they were now to be servants of Israel. Israel basically made an agreement that they shouldn't have made of because they didn't go to God, so that was a sin, not, not trusting in God, trusting in, trusting in the flesh and what they saw. Their consequence was they lost four cities and all the plunder that belonged in, in those four cities. And we're going to see another consequence in the next chapter of this, of this alignment. And so Joshua kind of chews them out in verse 22. Joshua called them and he said, Why have you beguiled us? You, you were saying you were very far and that you dwell among us. Now therefore you are cursed. And there be none that be free from the bondage and hewers of wood and drawers of, of water and, and the house of, for the house of God. And he goes, you lied to us, now you're, now you're servants, you're cursed. You know, why'd you do this? And then, you know, this is kind of an interesting thing, because this is kind of the world's way of thinking. Well, if I can't be totally free, I'm better off a servant, because I'd rather not be dead. And this is the thinking of the world. They would rather live in bondage to their, even their sin than be free even for a short period of time and be free of their sin. And usually the way through freedom is through God, and that gives you freedom for a long term, not, not a short term. Well, yeah. Oh, definitely. When it comes to the end times, they will take the mark of the beast because it's either that or starve. Yeah, strict survival. I mean, if I take this mark, I get to eat. If I don't take this mark, I get to starve. Especially in our day and age. Now, you know, when, because this was something, I don't know why we're going to go on this, but it sounds, it's good anyway. In the older days, people going, well, who cares if you can't go to the market and buy and sell things? You, know, you still eat, no problem. You know, you bake your bread every day in your, your stove. You grow the food in your in your garden or your fields and you've got your flocks how has our world changed to the point where if you can't if any one of us couldn't go to the store for a period of time 
could any could very many of us grow enough food to, to survive? And grow could we could we butcher off an animal even if we could kill the animal? Could we efficiently butcher off the animal to to get the most out of the out of the food? Yeah. We're in a day and age where if you can't go to the store, you're going to starve because there's not a lot of not a stuff out there. And even if you can hunt, you may not. You may not be able to get the ammunition to hunt, or if you're you know, even with the bow and arrow, you, you most of us can't make can't make a straight arrow. You know, even with a bow, you can only retrieve your arrow so many times before it uh, gets bent or damaged, so that it will not fly straight. Because I love I love shooting archery, but we live in a day where it almost makes sense now that we can say. You take that marker, you starve to death. Well, there's, there's a handful of people who, who would not be as affected by it in our day and age, but very, very few. Even, even in a lot of third world countries, there's, there's not as many people that can, are self-sufficient anymore. And figure how many people have water, how many people could get water if they didn't have the money to pay for the water coming in uh, especially when they're telling us you can't drink your own water from your own wells and stuff because it's not pure enough. Uh, so you've got to think about this. And then if your electricity is cut off because you can't afford to pay it, most people couldn't get, couldn't get the water out of the ground in the first place. So you know, we're becoming very dependent upon money and things to buy all around the world. And so we kind of, you know, you kind of threw that out as a kind of a secondary thought, but it really is. We're in a time when people are going to make decisions because it's either that or die, literally. And we'll have God provide for you, and the church is gone, so there's not going to be very many people God provides for because they're there for judgment. All right, so, he's, so he says, you know, your curse is that you're going to be servants. You're going to, you're going to be woodcutters, and you're going to draw the water, and basically you are just going to do the menial tasks of our people. You know, great for the Israelites at this point. They got servants that are going to do the do the do their menial tasks. And they in verse 24, and they answered Joshua and said, Because it was certainly told of your servants how that the Lord your God commanded the servant his servant Moses to give you the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land from before you. Therefore we were very afraid of for our lives because of you and all the things that that and have done this thing. So basically they said, as we said, you know, they had heard that everybody in the land was going to be destroyed. How they heard this, I don't know. But we've already seen a couple of people. Rahab knew it. So the, the reputation is out. These guys are coming, and they're going to, and they're been commanded by their God to kill everybody. Now on one side of the coin, that makes it kind of hard when you go to battle because now you have fanatics. They're, they're going to die no matter what. They can't even surrender because you're not taking prisoners. So they're going to fight to the death. And if it wasn't God being on the side of Israel, this would be a very bad thing to be happening to them, that the enemy is ready to fight to the death. Because I already know, you're not taking prisoners. Anybody who surrenders is dead. And God gives them the victory. And you know, in our spiritual life, it's the same thing. When we are in battle against the world and the flesh, God tells us, do not take prisoners. We are not to take our flesh and say, okay, instead of crucifying you, I'm going to put you in this fenced pen, and you're now a prisoner of war. Prisoners tend to escape. God says you kill the flesh. You don't imprison the flesh. You, you don't make a league with the, with the flesh. You don't put it under control. You crucify the flesh. And this is the picture of this whole thing, is that they made a league with the flesh. And it's going to come back and haunt them in major ways. And basically they tried to make the flesh their servant. How many times do we try to do that? Okay, God, uh, I have these appetites that are not good, and I'm going to, I'm going to, beat them into submission, and they're going, to be, they're going to serve me. And then they flare up and make life difficult for you. So we want to be very careful of that. Verse 25, And now, behold, we are in your hand, as it seems good and right unto you, do unto us. And so did he unto them, and delivered them out of the hand of the children of Israel, and they slew them not. 
So he says, basically, okay, we're, we're at your hand. You know, you were going to kill us anyway, so we're now at your, basically at your mercy. You do what you want. You want to make us slaves? And in their mind, slaves, being a slave was better than being dead. And for somebody who doesn't know God, then they were true. Being a slave is better than being dead. You know, the option, if you don't know God, is to be dead and go to hell. And they're going, you know, our option is to be alive or dead. We, we choose to be alive. Probably in the back of their minds, the idea that, well, someday maybe we'll get our freedom back. Even though it says, Joshua tells them that, you know, forever. You're going to be our servants forever. And then verse 27, And Joshua made them that day hewers of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord, even to this day in the, in the place that he should choose. So we see them saying that these guys, hewers of wood, and for what are they hewing the wood? For the altar. They're the one that goes get the wood for the, the Levites. The Levites no longer have to get the wood. They've got servants to go get the wood for them. And they're going to get the water and stuff for them. And that's a big deal. Getting water in this area is a big deal. Because how many of you can remember stories from grandma or great-grandma that would talk about having to walk to the well and get the, get the water and walk back and... Uh, you know, of course, Grandpa did it going uphill both ways, you know, uh, to go get the water. You know, he walked up with the waist-deep snow both ways, uphill both, uphill both ways to get the water. Bees and wasps around uh, the house, you know, you got to deal with them. Yeah, they tried to make it sound like the worst thing that could ever possibly happen. And, right. um, but, you know, this is what they've given. They've been, they lied to Joshua, and there's all kinds of consequences in this thing. They get a consequence for the lie. Joshua gets a consequence for not turning to God. The children of Israel have a consequence because of their not going to God. And it just shows the importance of us in our day-to-day walk. Do we go to God for our decisions? Or do we do things without going to him? And I know for myself, oftentimes, I, go to, I just make the decision without going to God. And, you know... Whether it's good or bad, you know, sometimes you say, no, I'm not doing something what God's wanting you to do. And sometimes you say, I'm going to go do something that God's not wanting you to do. Very important. God, what is it you want me to do? I've got this decision, God, what do you want? And not what do I think is right? Because one thing that I have seen in the scriptures is whatever looks like the best answer is usually not the best answer. Whatever the multitude and the group decides is usually not the right answer, which as much as I'm very happy to live in a democracy, democracies are not a good way to govern a people because the multitude is almost always wrong. In the, in the, in the wilderness, the, the children of Israel get mad at uh, Moses and say, we're going to choose a new leader to take us back to Israel, uh, Egypt because of how bad everything is. The multitude wanted to go back home. How many times? A lot. <laughs> Okay, Joshua and the people are ready right after the Battle of Ai. Say, okay, we're you know things are so bad, we lost a battle. We're going back to we we should go back to the other side of Jordan. The people in Samuel's day said, Samuel, we don't want God to be our king anymore. We want a king like every other like all the other people. The majority wanted a king, and God says that's not what you want. But you, if you want it, that's what I'll give you. And they came to regret it. The majority of the disciples picked Matthias as the next disciple, uh, next disciple to replace Judas. And God says, that's not who I wanted. Over and over through the scriptures, you look and see how often the majority is wrong. And even in our own country, if you look at some of the history of the majority decisions, you're going, okay, you know. Well, well when you start going with the majority being right, it's not good. And majorities are often wrong. Lynch mobs, killing somebody, you know, killing an innocent person because all of a sudden they've been jury, uh, judge, jury, and executioner, and then they realize uh, we didn't have all the facts. You know, a majority deciding to do something. You know, we want to be very careful that we sit back and we say, God, what is it that you want? Go to him in prayer and just say quick prayers and say, God, you know, what do you want me to do? God, I'm going, to, I'm going to go to this place. What do you want me to do? In the, the movie about Lee Strobel, there's a, there's a scene in it, and it's really kind of interesting because his daughter's choking, and this nurse just happens to be in the restaurant who gives, him, gives her CPR. Now, I don't know if it's based on true or not, but you know, 
But she goes, you know, it's kind of amazing that we're here. God put us here because my husband and I were going to this other restaurant and we just were, felt that we had to come to this restaurant tonight. Okay. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. It has happened to me sometimes where I went someplace that I had no intention of being and found a divine appointment from God in the process. Very important to talk to him. Any, any number of things can happen, but you know, we need to purposely put God in the middle of our decision making and not do it the way the world does it. You know, well, this is, this is what looks like the best choice, so this is what I'm going to do. It has more, more pros on that side. And God's saying, well, I really wanted you to work on the other thing because I was going to teach you things in this other side. Or I was going to have you minister to people in, uh, in this other direction. Uh, and now you're in this place where you're, you're, you thought you were going to do good. And usually when we start down a path that's made by sight and by the flesh, it's just the start of a whole series of decisions made in the flesh and by sight. And we get to the end and we go, how in the world did I get here? And we, you know, and we don't usually look at all the series of decisions that we made to get there. We just kind of go, God, I just don't know how I got here. You know, this is a really bad place. God, how did I end up in the middle of this bog? Well, when, you, when your foot first stuck in the first little mud, pole, mud hole, you should have turned around at that point. But you kept pushing your way through, and now you're ankle deep in the mud, and you, you, know, you should be turning around when you're, and now you're, now you're, up to your neck in it. Now you might decide it's time to get out. <laughs> yeah, get me out. Get me out of this, God. I'm I'm about to go under for the third time, and then we go, God, I need your help. And you know, God is so gracious and merciful that He lifts us up, even when we have forced our way into the middle of the mud bog, when we should have turned around at a lot of a lot of different places. He'll still reach out and lift us up. God is so loving and merciful to us to not, and then he doesn't go around saying, I told you so. He's, you know, he's going, okay, here's what you're, you're going to learn you know, from this. And now let's go down the next road. Yeah. Next time you're in the mud, starting down the mud bog, get out of it when you first hit that mud puddle. Matter of fact, listen to me in the first place and don't go into the mud puddle at all. Right. You know, and yet so many times we're going to go, you know, hopefully we'll learn not to go as deep into the mud puddle, but ideally we should be Listening to God, this is my way, tr take this way. You know, go this way, go that way. And you know, it's wonderful when you do walk in those times where God is talking to you and you make the right decisions. And, you know, when you make the wrong decisions, it's a tough, tough thing to do. All right, let's close. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for your care and your love. Lord, teach us to look more to you for our decision making, that we will lean on you we will trust in you with all our heart and lean not into our own understandings and all our ways acknowledge you and you shall direct our paths and you will keep us out of so much trouble when we do that and we just thank you in Jesus name amen, amen.